Welcome to the Rescue Church Podcast. This is Pastor Sarah Levecki, and this is the recording of our most recent Sunday sermon. We hope you enjoy. Wisdom and wealth. Um, last uh, Sunday, when I was sitting down to lunch with Mac and his wife, Anne, Anne is a very prophetic woman, but she doesn't really, she's not really weird or whatever. She's like dignified. A lot of prophetic people are weird. It's just like the fruit of the Spirit is not weird. Um, but anyway, so she's just sitting at lunch and she just looks at me and goes, You're well positioned. You're well positioned. And uh, she's tough. You know, the, the wife of people that are successful, very successful, are usually tough. So you know, there's a there's a gracious toughness. Like Deborah, the judge of Israel, has that spirit of toughness. There is a toughness to people who are successful. They are they are what I call durable. And she's spoken some difficult things for me to hear, some things that have I said to some of you guys, you squirm on me. Brett would be like, tell me more, bro. Most people would squirm. She's told me some difficult things to hear. But for my benefit. And Sunday she said, you are well positioned. And she short. One day, next day, an influx of resources for the mission. I had to tell two weeks, two people this week, I'm not going to say who they are, I had to tell two people this week, you cannot send any more money. We're going to block you. And I want to say to you something important, because this is, this is beyond money. If all you hear is money, that's because it lives in you. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about when you set your heart on the Lord's purposes, the Lord will make a way for what the Lord wants to do. Okay? So, the real strategy is intimacy. Intimacy is the strategy. Because in intimacy, you develop and you cultivate a sensitivity that causes you to be responsive to what the Lord wants, which aligns you to that which the Lord has. And the Lord is not short. The Lord is not broke. I don't know if you believe that. The Lord is not, is not his, his arms are not short. And his pockets are deep. The metaphor the psalmist gave was that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Which is a metaphor to say it's all his. Psalm says, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof and they that dwell therein, which means you do not belong to yourself. Even people that don't acknowledge God belong to God, which is why he has the right to judge them because he paid for them. Haggai says that the silver and the gold is mine, says the Lord. So the source of real wealth, not a piece of paper that we print, 
Not a USB stick that is in someone's safe. Crypto. The, the source of all actual real wealth belongs to the Lord. And you see that when God mentions wealth in, in Genesis, he starts with water. And then he talks about gold and, and, and mineral and different things. And the meek inherit what? The earth. The, earth. the meek don't fly away and get sucked up to heaven. And, and, and that's Greek mythology. We want to go to heaven. Jesus wants to bring heaven to earth. The meek inherit the earth. So the, there's wealth in the earth. We have to learn, God is going to show us, to invest where our inheritance is in the earth. I cannot eat my iPhone. So anyway, I want to talk about this because to fulfill the purposes of God, it takes resources. But this is important for people who maybe are struggling with resources. They think that resources is it. But I know someone who's not struggling with resources and there was a breakdown in relationships and the breakdown in relationships shut down the mission. So it's not simply, it is not simply money. If you do not have the right relationships, the resources are not enough. My friend uh, Tiaflo Hayashi says that he makes a decision based on four things. One, does he have a word from God? Two, does he have money for, for it? Three, does he have manpower for it? Four, does he have momentum for it? In other words, can he just lean into it without it taking him away from all of the other important things that he's doing? Or will it sidetrack him and he doesn't have enough momentum for it? Because sometimes when you don't have enough momentum for something, you step out in something that's God, but not now prematurely, and you lose because you don't have momentum behind you. It's like, I'll give you an example. It's like if you have a few great financial, a great financial quarter, and then you go out and buy a car you can't afford, and eight months later they're repossessing your car that you can't afford because you made a premature move. Instead of building slowly, as soon as you, and now you look like an idiot with someone coming to repossess a car in front of your house. You look like a crackhead. Because you had a few good quarters and, and you, 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 it got to your mind too quickly. This is why slower is always important because if you make slower moves, you're more sure-footed and it's more sustainable. It's better to plant your foot strong and come strong with momentum than you know, be top heavy and, and get easily pushed over because you don't have the, you're, you're not sure footed. So now I want to talk today about wisdom and about uh, wealth. So if you can come with me to 1 Kings uh, chapter 10, this is a really interesting chapter. It's a pivotal chapter because right after this chapter, Solomon is going to go sour. <laughs> it's like he has this incredible breakthrough. There's this powerful story the very next chapter, he's building statues and, and altars to Molech and Ashtaroth, and he's worshiping foreign gods because he didn't follow God's instructions, and he didn't even follow his own advice. 
Sometimes the hardest advice to follow is your own advice. Sometimes the most difficult thing to do is the thing that you already know for the last five years that you should have did. But you've been... Procrastination is not patience. That's a character issue. Many times we push off to later something that we should do now. Procrastination is not patience. I'm just going to tell you that. It's not. Alright, now, the Queen of Sheba is going to come to Solomon. Now, there's controversy. Smart people, really smart people, uh, smarter than I, have a controversy over where is this woman coming from. So, there's a trend of thought that thinks that she's coming from Yemen. And there's another trend of thought that she's coming from Ethiopia. I have my own views. My views are not important. What's really not important is where she's from because the scripture doesn't tell us where she's from. So that means it's not important. What's important is why she goes and what she does when she goes and what she receives as a result of her going. This is important. I want to say something to you that wisdom attracts wealth. Wealth is attracted to wisdom. There are people who have wisdom in a specific area and it brings wealth into their life because they are sowing wealth into other people's life. They are giving things to people that money cannot buy so the natural way to reciprocate is generosity. This happens all the time. I can give you, I'm going to give you a real story though that when, when someone doesn't heed a warning, it can cost them a lot of money. There was a young man that warned a, a, an older person about the stock market and what was happening in the stock market around the Enron uh, thing. I don't know if you guys are old enough to know about that. Some of you are. So that was a major, major scan. Uh, like a Ponzi scheme or scam and I don't want to get into all that but basically to make a long story short someone lost $487,000 in one day because they didn't heed a warning and the warning came from a source that didn't really think you should listen to but it was actually the Lord speaking because the Lord is good and the Lord will always try to protect people now, if you would have taken, I'm going to show you something just, just, just really crazy, something crazy. So if you would have taken that $487,000, okay, and you would have put that in an index fund, an S&P 500 simple index fund, you know what that is. Very simple, your money doubles virtually every six years. That $487,000 would have became $3,896,000 and change over from the time when the person was warned to right now. So this is my, <laughs> my statement to you guys. When God speaks to you, open your ears up. Open your ears. When you hear the voice of God, maybe it can come through an unlikely source. God spoke through a donkey, a jackass. God sometimes will speak through various sources to see if you're listening for Him. I'm going to tell you the truth and just keep it. I have paid for not listening. But now I'm going to tell you another truth. <laughs> I'm on the other side of that. And now I'm going to get paid for listening which is different. 
I've been on the side of you're, you're the idiot paying 18% on a credit card and then they're sending you $672 because someone else is the idiot. I've been on, listen, David DeMola said, I've been rich and I've been poor and I'd rather be rich. But today I want to talk to you about true riches, real, real wealth. I'm not talking about a get-rich-quick scheme. We're not selling anything. We're not taking up a, you know, some sort of offering. Uh, th these are biblical principles that if you work the word, the word will bring prosperity into your life. And uh, generosity gives prosperity a purpose. It's why all of the really wealthy people get bored of wealth, power, and yachts, watches and cars, and whatever else you can buy, and then they start, uh, they start foundations, and they start these things to give because they know intuitively that it's better to give than to receive, even though they don't really know Jesus, they're not really doing it for Jesus, but within their humanity, they understand that it is more significant to give than to receive. Are you with me? Okay. Now, there's a bunch of different ways uh, to give, and, and we're going to get into that. But this is not just about giving. I want to be really clear. I'm going to read some alarming statistics to you. I don't know if you were here last time, but I'm going to read these again on purpose. America's debt is $31.4 trillion, uh, which is now bigger than its GDP. Uh, a gross domestic product. So that, so that mean, what that means is that imagine if you made... 100,000 a year, and your bills were, say, 140,000 a year. As time goes, you are becoming increasingly more in debt, which is very dangerous for us as a nation. On one side, thank God, we have a strong military. On the other side, China is, is floating balloons over our country because they see weak leadership and they know that weak leadership will not produce the power that you already have. They would have never tried that type of stuff under the Trump administration because he was a G. He was a straight boss. He, he, didn't, he didn't ask his wife, is it okay if I can take a piss? He is a G from the door, so they're not going to, I'm sorry to say it like that, I know it's kind of ghetto, but they're not, they're not, they're not going to play that with someone like him because he's not going to tolerate that. So people, what people do is they, they, they do what they can do and they, they overreach on people that they can overreach on. So without a strong military, we would be in major trouble and we are in major trouble. And I'm going to tell you something. The American church is in a crisis. And just because we're doing better and things are going well for us doesn't mean that we are not in a crisis. You may be walking inheritance, fam uh, breakthrough. You may be walking in purpose. You may be, that's awesome and I'm so happy for you. And I'm doing well and I'm happy too. However, what th there, is a con there is a swirl of trouble. Is a swirl of trouble. If you can't see it, it's because you don't understand history and your eyes are not open. If you can't, if you don't get it, you, you gotta you gotta learn how to be positioned for it. Like Joseph, through a prophetic revelation, he was positioned to save the world. 
He was a storehouse to save the world because he was well positioned prophetically and wherever he went, the blessing of the Lord went with him. They threw him in a pit, he's getting blessed. They threw him in prison, he's getting blessed. He gets falsely accused, he learns how to interpret dreams. God uses that season to prepare him for his dreams to come forth. His dreams coming forth were the salvation of Israel and the world. I mean, just crazy. Crazy story. So the average American has $96,371 uh, worth of debt. America has $10.93 trillion worth of mortgage debt and credit card debt. So to have the same amount of mortgage debt to credit card debt, that, that is crackhead level. That is, I, I stole my dad's Upper Saddle River platinum business card and I went on a crack bench. I mean, that is, that is a, a level of dysfunction that is highly, highly dysfunctional. If you can't see that, I'm very sorry to tell you, but that's very dysfunctional. Even I can see that. So now, 74 million Americans have more credit card debt than they have savings in the bank. That, 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 is a, that is a problem because debt, let me say one thing to you, debt, the opposite of debt is not savings. The opposite of debt is investments. Poor people think about saving. I got to hold on to it. I got to hold on to it. Rich people invest. Okay. 5% of churchgoers uh, tithe. 5%. This is not like that here. This is not like that here. I will shut the place down and start over. 5% of churchgoers tithe. 1.5 million people out of 247 million U.S. citizens identifying as Christians tithe. Do you understand? That means that just in one area of their life, just in one simple, clear area, in a country of profound abundance, you have mostly unfaithful people. Mostly unfaithful people. 77% of the tithers give more than 10%. That is more of this type of flow for most of you. Some of you are still robbing the Lord, but that's all right. The Bible talks more about economics than it does about eternity. And when eternity is brought up, many times it's in the context of the poor and money. Now, this is how many times the Bible speaks about wealth. Just, I'm just going to let this marinate. For those of you who are watching, you, know, you, you can see on the screen for a second. I'm going to, for the audio folks, money is mentioned 149 times. Wealth, 37. Covetous, 37. Sold, 79. Borrower, 10. Bribes, 24. Usury, 10%, which is like loan sharking. Um, alms, giving to the poor, is mentioned nine times. Offering, it's mentioned 1,449 times. Offering, the word offering. God does not remember your tithe. That's a debt that you pay. God remembers your offerings. The goal is for us to grow into a place where our offerings are greater than our tithe. I can tell you stories, but I'm, I'm not going to do all that. You see that the Bible has a lot to say about economics. This is the bottom line. You, 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 people don't like it. There's like two or three or four scriptures on homosexuality. 
And the Bible is very clear that it's an abomination that is not healthy, that is dysfunctional. That's very clear. The Bible, anyone who wants to talk about that, they're being dishonest with Scripture if they tell you any other thing. No matter how much they wiggle, it's, it's dishonest. It's not, it's not real. The Bible mentions the idea of justice over 2,000 times. And we, we major on homosexuality, homosexuality. There's three verses about it, which we should talk about it. There's like 2,000 verses on justice and on the poor. And it gets virtually, it either gets only mentioned in woke churches or social justice gets detached from Jesus and the gospel. It almost never does it get really taught in its context. 2,000 verses about that. That's a major key to real wealth and real prosperity is to give to someone who can give you nothing in return. Because that's what Jesus did for you and I. All right. Just want to break some of these down. Now, biblical truths about money. The tithe was before the law. If you don't give the first 10% of all your increase, you're robbing him. Tithing is not giving. It's a debt you owe to God who purchased you with his own blood. Offerings are what God remembers. If you don't give offerings, guess who you're robbing? Yourself. You're robbing yourself. <laughs> giving to the poor is actually lending to the Lord. Lending to the Lord. Now, here's what the proverb says, that the, 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 the lender, the borrower, is a servant to the lender. That's happening all over China. They're developing Africa. And, it's, and it is basically bonded labor. They are enslaving themselves economically because they're going to be the next trade route for the influx of electric cars that are coming at, 50, at, at, at 57 uh, seconds a car. Already happening. So when you give to the poor, you're lending to the Lord and the Lord will repay you. Some of you don't believe that. When I give to the poor, that to me is an investment. That is an investment in the kingdom of God that knows no lack. Uh, there's things that I, that I think of as an investment. When I book our first trip, when me and my wife, we're going to go to Dubai to celebrate our 14th anniversary, that is not an expense. That is an investment. I am investing in the woman that I love, the mother of my children, and the partner in everything that I've done for the kingdom. If she is well, I'm well. And then everything moves forward. To me, that is an investment greater than an S&P and other, any other P. So now, because if she's doing well, guess what happens? The ball moves down the field. If she's not doing well, guess what happens? No movement. All right. Giving to people who speak into your life. That's important. Some of you are intuitively know that. Your savings can't save you. Look at, look at the Queen of Sheba. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord. So Solomon wasn't famous in his own Solomonness, which his name means peaceful. But he was famous 
concerning the name of the Lord. In other words, concerning the, the nature and the character of God, that is the thing that made him who he was. Because when God came to him in a dream, he didn't ask God for money or power or respect or the key to life. He asked God for a wise and a discerning heart that he would be able to judge God's people faithfully. He asked for the ability to be faithful in judgment, to not abuse his power. And God says, since you have asked for wisdom, I will give you wisdom, riches, honor, and life. I'll give you everything. See, it's important that you know what to ask for. Now, when the queen of Sheba heard of the fame of Solomon concerning the name of the Lord, she came to test him with hard questions. She came to Jerusalem with a very great, um, basically like a, an entourage uh, with camels that bore spices, very much gold, precious stones. When she came to Solomon, she spoke with him about all that is in her heart. This is the thing. This is another key to ministering to wealthy people. Wealthy people are always looking for someone that they can trust with what is going on on the inside of them. See, because they cannot just tell anyone anything because most people just want something from them. But when you love people and you care for people, not for what they have, but for who they are, that puts you in a different re a relationship. The relationship is then different. Because I'm not in the relationship for what I can take, but I'm in the relationship for what I can give, knowing that if I'm faithful to give what it is that God has given me, that God will be faithful to reward me, and God will meet my needs according to his riches and glory. And if God meets it through him, that's okay. But it doesn't matter because he's not my source. God is my source. My promotion is coming from the Lord. So if I'm faithful with what God gives me, God is going to be faithful with what I need in my life. Come on. That's right. Amen. So she's looking for someone to talk to. See, money isn't her problem. But she's got stuff going on. See, money doesn't fix it all. All right. So Solomon answered all her questions. There was nothing so difficult for the king that he could not explain to her. The King James says there was nothing hidden from him. And when the queen of Sheba had seen the wisdom of Solomon, the house he had built, the food of his table, the seating of his servants, the, servant, the service of his waiters, in other words, how they served, and their apparel, what they wore. This is the servant, not the king. <laughs> uh, his cupbearers, his entryway by which he went up to the house of the Lord. There was no more spirit in her. She was breathless. Have you ever walked into a place and you go, aired you out a little bit? Yeah. Have you ever go into someone's house like that? You're like, Ugh! like whoa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Bishop Mary's house. But, but there's, there's places that I've been in that when you walk in, it airs you out. You're like. Especially when you walk into a room, a big room, and as soon as you walk in, it's wide open. And the first thing that you experience is space. See? And the way the room and the light is, it, it, it focuses, it causes you to look up, 
and then you see that in the ceiling there's wood and, and, and there's crown molding and it has depth to it and the way the light hits it all your light. It is almost as if someone put thought into that room. They didn't just slap it together and paint it and say, okay, you're done. It, 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 excellence takes a little bit more forethought. So she gets aired out when she sees this all. She, she, so when people experience the kingdom of God, they should experience wisdom and excellence. This is not simply about money. This is, this is about the things that we do or say or wear or how we represent ourselves should be excellent. There should be something different about us. Someone should step back and go, there's something about her. There's something about him. There, there's something a little bit different. There's a little more forethought. They didn't just show up disheveled looking, you know, looking out of it, but, but there's a flow to that person. So she comes to share what is in her heart, and she's, she's breathless. She, she's taken back. Watch what she said. This is really interesting here. Then she said to the king, It was a true report which I heard in my own land about your words and your wisdom. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes, and indeed the half was not told to me. In other words, they did not exaggerate. They undersold how great he really was and what it is that he had and what it is that he built. It's always better... To surprise people. Always better. So, uh, however, I did not believe the words. Okay, watch this. This is verse 8. Uh, let me continue 7 again. However, I did not believe the words until I came and saw with my own eyes. And indeed, the half was not told me. Your wisdom and prosperity exceed the fame of which I heard. Happy are your men, and happy are these your servants who stand before you and hear your wisdom. Who stand continually, excuse me, before you and hear your wisdom. Blessed be the Lord your God who delighted in you, setting you on the throne of Israel, because the Lord has loved Israel forever. Therefore, he made you king to do justice and righteousness. Righteousness and justice is the foundation of God's throne. It's the place where he sits on and abides. So if God is going to dwell somewhere, it has to be righteous and it has to be just. So it matters that we're in right standing with God and right standing with our brother. That's why if it's a kingdom business deal, everyone has to win. If everyone, if you're losing and someone else is winning, that is not a kingdom deal. Everyone has to win if it's kingdom. That's another story, but... So, so anyway, now she's able to see all this, and now she's able, I don't know if you caught this, but she's able to catch God's heart for his people through the wisdom and the prosperity and the excellence of Solomon. She somehow deducts that God delights in his people Israel, and he loves them, and he gave them you. And blessed are the people that stand before you and hear what you're saying. One of the things that wealthy people know about that people who grow up poor don't know about is honor. Wealthy people know about protocol and honor. Poor people, they don't know about that. 
That's why they're stuck. Because they don't know how to treat people well so that they can move forward. See, some of us, I'm telling you, some of, some of you are going to have to shake a mentality of poverty. Do you know that some people grew up in a spirit of poverty even though their family has money? Because poverty is a spirit. It's, it's not just a condition. My spiritual father, Steve Stewart, says that poverty is not a lack of resources, it's a lack of opportunity. If you don't see clearly, many times you'll miss the opportunities that are right before you. I, listen, I want to tell you something. I, I, I confess, I want you to prosper and be in good health even as your soul prospers. I want you to do well because I know that people who are doing well can do well. People who are not doing well, it's not sustainable. People come, they try, to, they try, 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 but they don't even have power to fulfill what they said because they're worn out, disheveled, indebted, and they're worried. So they're preoccupied by all these things. But if you get healthy on the inside, if you begin to prosper on the inside, you're not preoccupied by what controls everyone else. You're focused on what are you supposed to be doing, and then God is and aligning you with the resources and the manpower and the momentum and the relationships and the things that you need to live a life that is pleasing to God so that we're not preoccupied by what the world is preoccupied with. Okay. Then she gave the king 120 talents of gold, spices in great quantity, and precious stones. There never again came such abundance of spices as the queen of Sheba gave to Solomon. She is giving out of honor and out of appreciation. She is not giving out of need. She's not seeing a picture of a poor little kid in Africa and go, oh my God, I feel so bad. I want to give. Yeah, if you don't give to that, it's like you're dead. You're, you're like, you're, you're messed up. Like, if you can't look at someone who's hurting in a shack and feel like, man, I want to do something, you have problems. But this is different. She has a different level of sight. She's giving to the richest man on the face of the earth. He needs what she's giving like a hole in the head. Solomon, if you read carefully, Solomon had silver piled up outside of the city walls in Jerusalem. How do you like them apples? You want to come visit our city? Oh, your brother? No problem. There's a pile of silver outside. Grab what you need and come on in. How do you like them apples? I mean, that, that's the type of wealth that Solomon had. So when the Queen of Sheba came to give him something, it wasn't out of his need. It was out of her need. She was rich. You're going to see. And also, ships from Haram which brought gold from Ophir, brought great quantities of almond wood or sandalwood. It is a wood that keeps its fragrance for decades. It is a fragrant wood. Now, when you get into guitars and different things, the price of the guitars goes up based upon the quality of the wood. That's why you can have a little guitar. It can be ten or fifteen or twenty thousand dollars because the Brazilian rosewood comes from a place where it is rare, so it means the price is higher. One of the one of the one of the things of that wood is if if you would take your nose and put your nose in the guitar, you will smell something that smells like it's alive, because it is. 
That is the difference between a cheap Kmart guitar that smells like a, a box, you know, in a factory versus something that is quality. It actually sounds better. This is the difference between an investment and just wasting. That Brazilian rosewood, if it's treated well, will sound better in 10 years than it sounds now. So anyway, so she brings, listen, so, so, and the king made steps of the almond wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house. Did you see what he did first? Whose house? The house of the Lord. First. You see that? The house of the Lord. She, she gave him a gift that was a personal gift. But he, made, he used it first for the house of the Lord. Second, for his house. You see that? This is before his heart went sour. When your heart goes sour, the Lord isn't first. You know who's first? You. And the king made steps of almond wood for the house of the Lord and for the king's house and also harps and stringed instruments for the singers. There never again came such almond wood, nor has the like been seen to this day. She came rolling deep with generosity. Watch this. Verse 13. Now King Solomon gave... The queen of Sheba, all she desired, whatever she asked, besides what Solomon had given her, according to, watch this, the royal generosity. Generosity is an attribute of royalty. When you meet dignitaries and people in other countries, they often come with gifts. You see the principle in the Old Testament, they, they didn't come to the man of God, to the prophet empty-handed, they came to give. There's people that have this idea in their head. Your dad has that type of a spirit. Steph's dad, who's a winner. He, he comes with the intention to give. That's why he'll never be broke. You cannot be broke with that type of a spirit. That guy, he could lose everything, and in one year, he'll be rich again with that type of spirit. You cannot stay down. I have friends in Haiti, uh, uh, Reg, Bishop Reginald, he's given away cars. He's given away land. He's given away things, many things people will never have in their life. In Haiti, he's given that away. Because he knows the key to the flow is letting go. So she turned and went to her own country. So she comes to hear wisdom, to talk about what's in her heart. She experienced excellence. Generosity is the fruit of excellence. And he goes, oh, whatever it is that you want, take it. You're, 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 we're all good here. And this is what I want to show you how good God is. God allows a pagan or a heathen, old school words, to contribute to the house of the Lord, to Solomon's house, and to the musicians for the house of the Lord. Because the wood that they gave, they used for that. So the Lord, through her generosity, and through her, she had a heart that was seeking. 
The Lord is always good to seekers. The Lord says, okay, you're seeking, no problem. I'm going to include you. You're a seeker? All right, no problem. I, I will let you contribute to my kingdom that has no need and has no end. Seekers are givers. We know you're seeking. I know people are seeking when they're giving. I know people are seeking when they're serving. I know people that are seeking when the Lord puts something in their spirit and it's like a fire in them. They go, I got to do this. I got to do this. Because the Lord told you. We, we, we know who prays and who doesn't pray because when there's intercession, there's an initiative. You cannot come into contact with the living God consistently and do nothing. You can't. You're not. That's why I know your people don't pray. They read God their list. Give me this. Give me that. Give me this. Give me that. But you don't. We don't do anything. That's why we live in a culture that's depressed because it's selfish. So anyway, I wanted to tell you this because this important principle. She gave out of honor, not out of need. Rich young ruler. We're gonna we're gonna get a few quick stories here, and then we're gonna now. This is verse uh, Mark uh, ten seventeen. Now he was going out on the road, and one came to him, knelt before him, and asked him, "Good teacher, what may I do to inherit eternal life?" Jesus said to him, "Why do you call me good? No one is good but one, and that is God. You know the commandments: do not commit adultery, do not murder, do not steal, do not bear false witness, do not defraud, honor your father and mother." And he answered and said, Teacher, I have done all these things, and I have kept all these things from my youth. Watch this. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him, <laughs> loved him, and said to him, One thing you lack. Love will always tell you what you lack. Jesus is able to look at the rich guy and go, There's something that you lack. Let me tell you the one thing that you lack. See, Jesus does not see how we see. Everyone else would be preoccupied with what he has. Ooh, he has a house. He has a house. Ooh. Jesus goes, no, 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 no. You lack something. You, you don't have possessions. Possessions have you, brother. Don't get it twisted. You don't got stuff. Stuff has you. There's one thing that you lack. And since I love you, I'm going to tell you what you're lacking. That's grown-up love. Now, oh, you're amazing. We're so glad you did your job. You're amazing. We're so honored that you did what you said you were going to do. Jesus calls that person an unprofitable servant, someone who just does what they're supposed to do. We're so used to getting a pat on our back for, for nothing. It's crazy. This is the culture that we live in. Then Jesus, looking at him, loved him and said, One thing you lack. Go your way, sell whatever you have, and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, take up your cross, and follow me. So Jesus loved this guy. Jesus wanted this guy to follow him. Jesus invited this guy to follow him. Jesus was teaching this guy about true wealth and about real treasure, and he couldn't see it. Do you know, do you remember Peter? Crazy Pete, crazy redneck Pete from Galilee, a fisher. It would be like Bud Light Pete. Crazy Pete. Pete follows Jesus and they come and they sell lands and property and they lay it at his feet. He doesn't pursue it. That's when you're, when you're an apostle, people bring things to you. They say, I don't know, I've got to bring this to you. 
and they come to you and they bring things to you because of the yes. This guy is anchored in his possessions and it's holding on to him. It's not letting him go. Peter, let's go. And they come and they bring it to Peter. Uneducated, no college, no education, nothing. And they come and they bring it to him. People who had the power to buy and to sell and to have land and to have property, they come and they bring it to the feet of a fisherman who said yes. Guess what we don't know? We don't know the rich young ruler's name. He doesn't have a name. You know why? He didn't say yes. We don't know him. Unknown. No impact. Not remembered. Not significant. Didn't say yes. Yes makes you significant in the kingdom. God says, I'm in the business of making nobodies somebodies. Through a yes. Crazy people. All they got to do, say yes. Say yes. But he was sad at his word and went away sorrowful for he had great possessions. So Jesus is saying, listen, if you give to people that cannot give you anything in return, you are storing up treasure in heaven. Do you know that God is not against treasure? The Bible says there is much treasure in the house of the righteous. Much treasure. You know what that means? Valuables. I got it was on sale. I got this, it's cheap. I got that, it's really cheap. People brag about cheap. God says in the house of the righteous, there are much treasure. You know what the thing with cheap people is? They give cheap stuff. Here's the thing, I don't have cheap stuff, so if I give you anything, it's not cheap. Cheap. Jesus, help us. Cheap doesn't last. Have you ever bought something? You have to rebuy it. I've done it. I'm telling you. You, you buy it and then you rebuy because you bought something cheap. It doesn't last. Yeah, you spend more and you lose in the long run. And you waste time. You go, oh, I bought something cheap. That's great. And like a congratulations. That was stupid. I want to say something, that God doesn't always get everything he wants. Jesus wanted that man to follow him. That man said no. Who would he have become? Wait a second. Let's just humanize it. Who would he have become? Yeah. Maybe Paul's mantle would have fell on him. Maybe he would have replaced... Judas, the betrayer. You don't know who he would have become. We'll never know. He said no. History does not remember no. So, then Jesus looked around and said to his disciples, How hard is it for those who have riches to enter the kingdom of God? Now he's going to stir them up. He's, gonna, he's always troubling them. This is what discipleship is. If you don't feel beat up after a discipleship meeting, you're not getting discipled. Like when I went to Jason... I felt like totally beat up and encouraged. 
Like that, that should, you know, if you're not feeling like beat up, you're not getting discipled. So, and his disciples were astonished. The, the word astonished is like when someone strikes you. They were astonished at his words. But Jesus answered again and said to them, watch this, <laughs> Jesus is classic. He calls them children, which is technon, which is little Little boy. Little boy. So he calls the grown men little boys. Boys. Because what are they acting like? Boys. Boys, he says, how hard is it for those who trust in riches to enter the kingdom of God? So he interprets and he defines it and the problem is not riches the problem is what people trust money is not the root of all evil it is the love of money that is the root of all evil when Paul wrote to Timothy he told Timothy to command the rich to share to command them not to manipulate them not to shake them down, not to feel guilty that they're blessed, but to command them to be generous and give. That's what apostles do. Apostles command rich people. They, that's why a lot of times pastors, they cannot handle rich people. Pastors cannot handle rich people because they want to please them. They want to make them feel good. They want to make them feel loved. But they don't need that. They need to be commanded. They need to be told, no one else will tell you. I'll tell you. If God has blessed you, you should be a blessing. What you're doing is not above and beyond. It's what you should do. Not this, this overwhelming sense of guilt that people have because you're blessed. That's not healthy. Generosity, not guilt. See, when you don't have any guilt and shame in your life, people can't manipulate you. And people hate people that they can't manipulate. They hate that. I cannot intimidate you with my fears. I cannot make you feel guilty for loving people. I cannot make you... No, you don't control my feelings. How hard is it for those who trust... See, the issue is the trust. What is it that we trust? That's, that is the main, main issue. And let me explain to you one thing why you cannot trust money. Here's why. Money fluctuates. Anything that is changing cannot be fully trusted. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. The silver and the gold is his it belongs to him so if I'm in relationship with him then I am in alignment with what it is that I need does that mean I'll get all my wants maybe not but if I have all my needs according to his riches and glory what I have then is the power to move forward and what I found is when I'm about what he wants he is about what I want I'm just telling you, yesterday I was worshiping the Lord, one of my favorite things to do, everyone is asleep, and I'm on the guitar worshiping, and the Lord said, I'll move heaven and earth to bless my friends. 
I'll move heaven and earth to bless my friends. If you, if you just will be my friend, I will move heaven and earth to bless you. I'm, <laughs> I signed me up. Put my, yeah, put my name on the list, top of the list, the bottom of the list, the middle of the list. I'm, I'm on the list. I want to be, be your friend because that is the key to being positioned because when you have a real friend, they look out for you. Fake friends don't look out for you, but real friend, they look out for you. Jesus said, what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his soul? Which is what, what the world is fighting for, your soul. Your mind, your will, and your emotions, which is all rooted in your attention, which is what the largest companies on the face of the earth are fighting for, your attention. In fact, the little balloon over the ocean is to monitor what you do and what we're doing in, in hopes of fighting for our attention that we can be further indebted and enslaved. They created a program that studies people so that they can further enslave people. That was all free. Now, if you don't save, you are not wise. If you trust your savings, you are foolish. See, with the kingdom, there's always a tension. It's not like, do I save or don't save? That's too easy. That's not the point. You're missing the whole point. It's like, spend it all, and I'm living free. No, you're, you're kind of, you're dumb. That's not smart. That's not a good idea. But it's also equally not a good idea to trust in your savings because your savings cannot save you. You, you know, Steve Jobs, he died with a billion dollars in the bank. And guess what? Couldn't save him. Would you rather have 10 million and be alive? Or a billion and be dead. I'd rather be alive with 10 million. That's just me. All right. And they were greatly astonished among themselves. This is the disciples after Jesus messes with them and calls them boys. Who then can be saved? <laughs> but Jesus looked at them and said, With man it is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Here's Peter, the spokesman. Peter, this is the union representative. Peter began to say to him, See, we have left all and we followed you. So Jesus answered and said, Assuredly, I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake and the gospels who shall not receive a hundredfold now. Unbelief always wants to push what God wants to do into the future. Faith is pulling eternity into now. A hundredfold return now. Watch this. This is powerful. Uh, watch this. It's going to come with something. A hundredfold now in this time. And the word time is the word kairos, which when you receive a harvest, it's kairos. 
It is a divine opportunity where the resources of heaven, faith, breaks into the earth. Okay. You will receive houses and brothers and sisters and mothers and children and lands with, <laughs> the with, the with, the small print, with persecutions. And in the age to come, eternal life. But many who are first will be last and last first. Which is, that's, this is, so if anyone tries to tell you about an offering and you're going to, they say, you're going to get a hundredfold return. No, you're not. Not unless you forsake everything and say 100% yes and do whatever he says. Then you are qualified under the small print for a hundredfold return with new families and persecution. So that's all right. Because persecution is not a problem. It's actually, there's a reward for it. So he's actually trying to give you a reward in this life and in the age to come. See, God really wants you wealthy, but real wealth. He, he really wants you to have stuff, but stuff not to have you. I'm going to give you one final passage, and then we're, um, we're done. Revelation 3, he's addressing the lukewarm church. Now, I'm doing three passages on purpose. We started with a, a, a woman, a wealthy woman, coming to Solomon to share what is in her heart and to give generously to someone who doesn't have needs. And the principle there is that if someone is speaking into your life, sowing and giving to them is actually an expression of honor. This is, this is, this is good. Okay, the second one is that Jesus invites a man to follow him, but that man is possessed with his possessions, and he says no. And then Jesus clarifies that it's not riches that are the problem. That's too easy. The problem is you. The problem is what you trust in. That's the problem. That, that's really the, the, the issue. What is it? Who is it? And what is it that we trust in? That, that's the main issue, just so you know. It's possible to have money and for money not to have you. And it's also possible for, for, to not have money and money to have you. <laughs> that's, that's another uh, possibility. So there's all types of possibilities. And I want to give you hope that as you have an intimate relationship with Jesus in a real and personal way, if you're honest with yourself and you have good people in your life, God will address the things that are inside of you that will prohibit you from moving forward with your purpose in the kingdom. There's some things that you just won't move forward until you align. Unless you change certain things, you will not move forward. You could stay here your whole life, and then someone could come in, and in six months, there's more promotion and more movement because they were willing to align things that were misaligned. That's why not everyone is promoted at the same pace because not everyone is willing to change at the same pace. Not everyone is willing to come to terms with the brokenness in their life because there's, there's brokenness in every life. All right. Now he's going to address the lukewarm church. And uh, this is the Laodiceans. This is Ephesus. And um, these things says the amen. Did you know that Jesus 
is the so be it of God. Jesus is the amen of God. You know that Jesus amen himself before he said so? Okay. Uh, these things says amen. The faithful and true witness. The beginning of the creation of God. Did you know the beginning is, is not... The beginning, I write this in my new book, that the, the beginning is not a when. The beginning is a who. Okay. I know your works. Now, now let me just give you something. In Revelation 2 and 3, every time Jesus addresses the dysfunction of the church, he first reveals something unique about himself. Because when we behold him, it is then that we have the power to change. So before Jesus shows me what is broken in me, which it's easy to focus on, husband, wife, spouse, ex-wife, four ex-wives ago, uh, whoever, it's easy to focus the society. We can deflect constantly with Instagram and with everything that is broken in our society. We can constantly deflect about the society's perversion and greed and not deal with our own perversion and our own fear of the future. So we can, we can do that, you know. Instead, Jesus wants us to see him so that he may address us. So, so the order is not addressing you, but it's seeing him and then addressing us because when we see what is right about him, we have the power to change what is wrong about us. This is a very important principle. You see this all through Revelation 2 and 3, where first he reveals something uh, in, in verse, um, in, when he's talking to Philadelphia, he says uh, these things, uh, he who is holy, who is true, who has the key of David, who shuts and opens doors that no man shuts, and shuts doors that no man opens. He, he always starts by revealing something unique about himself and then addressing them. Why am I repeating this? Because this principle is important. You, you become like what you behold. You, you watch porn, you become a pervert. You become a pervert. The end of perversion is violence. If you don't stop that, you'll become like an animal. Okay, it's very quiet. Uh, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I wish you were cold or hot. When, when something is cold, it is refreshing. When something is hot, it is soothing. When it is lukewarm, it is blah. God will spit out lukewarm. That's crazy that people don't... That God is not interested in lukewarm. Now, he's talking to the Laodiceans, and the Laodiceans know that there's a spring right by there, hot springs, that are refreshing and soothing. And so he's always talking to people so they can get the message. But sometimes we're like... All right. Now, so then, because you were lukewarm, neither caught a hold, I will vomit you out of my mouth. That, that's not a very nice picture. And this is Jesus speaking. Because you say, uh-oh, 
I am rich and have become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. They are experiencing what Jesus said in his parable about the deceitfulness of riches. Now money is lying to them. It's telling them that they're rich and in the eyes of God, they're poor. See, money, li money can lie to you if you permit it to because it'll tell you, with me, you're very powerful and you're very smart. And, and now, because you have money, everyone wants to know what you think about something. And now you get on TV and you're talking about something that you don't know about and everyone knows you're an idiot, but you're a rich idiot, so they listen to you. And people make a fool out of themselves talking about what they don't know about and, and the primary example, I will use a real person. You look at Bill Gates. The man, he's, he's really smart. He's a billionaire. Like, he gave us Excel. He gave us amazing. We appreciate you. And now he gets on the TV as if he's a doctor and he practices medicine. He's not a doctor. See, because what happens is people, when you have money, they want to hear from you, which allows you to talk about things that you don't know about. He didn't practice medicine. He read books. He, that's not practice and reading books is not the same. You could you because you can find a plumber that can read all types of books and plans, but he can't fix your boiler. And then you call another guy who has dirty hands in a beat up work truck and in 20 minutes the heat's back on. In real life, you don't just need book knowledge. You need experience. You need you need revelation. So the money and their material possessions and their position has been lying to them and has been giving them a deluded perspective of themselves as if they don't need anything because their temporary needs are taken care of, but eternally they're lacking and they're lukewarm. I mean, if that is not a picture of, 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 of the church in America, if that is not... And I don't believe that each church is a church age. I believe he was talking to literal churches in Asia Minor at a specific time. So this is, that's a dispensational view. It's incorrect. But anyway, that's another thing. Uh, so, so what you have here is, is the heart, the, the, this old and tender man, John, who has outlasted everyone. They're all dead except him. He's the last man standing. Paul's already been beheaded. They're all dead. The only guy that showed up to the foot of the cross is still alive and kicking. He who seeks to save his life will lose it, and he who is willing to lose it for my sake will find it. So he's the last man standing. The man that showed up was the last man standing. You see that? The man that showed up at the foot of the cross, it was like a prayer meeting, four women and one guy, John shows up, he's there. Everyone else ran, they're dead. It's classic. So God has a hard message, but it's through a soft vessel. So, so, so if you're going to have a hard word, you have, it's like I, I've told Brett about this, if you're going to have an iron fist, you have to have a velvet glove, you have to have, you have, to have grace. The, the, our words have to be seasoned with grace to empower the hearers. I'm not here to just give you a piece of my mind. That's not going to change your life. But a piece of God's heart, seeing something as God sees it, that, that, that can change. So he's, he's addressing something in them. 
And then he says this, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich in white garments. <laughs> he wants them rich, but the way he sees rich. Not the way they see rich. Now, anyone, listen to me, who is selling gold, they are not selling gold so that you become rich. <laughs> they are selling gold so they become rich. Jesus is the opposite of everyone. He is selling gold to them so that they would be rich. Now this gold here is a picture of truth. And in the ancient world, what they would do with gold is they would take gold, put it in the fire, purify it, bang it, beat it, bang it, beat it, bang it, beat it, and they would make a mirror out of gold. This is what wealthy people would use gold, thin, to make a little mirror. And the purpose of that is that when you embrace truth, which is a picture of gold, you become a reflection of him. So when he looks at me, he doesn't want to see me. He wants to see him in me. So my unique me, but covered and saturated and fragrant with him. Not me. I want this, I want this. It doesn't matter what you want. You have to die. You've been 10 years a Christian and you still haven't died. To what you want. You, you, you're still kicking. And, and, and Sarah's giving me the time thing. God bless you, I'm almost done. So anyway, okay. I counsel you to buy me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments. White garments are bridal garments. When you are pure, you are rich. Did you hear me? When you are pure, you are rich. What is the enemy after? Your purity. That's why in our culture, all of the cool influencers, hey, come in. no purity, no power to cut through. Just talk. I counsel you to buy me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich in white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. He's telling them they're blind. They need eye salve to see. You need anointed eyes. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Not just rebuke, chasten. That is like a little kid who has to get disciplined and you have to pursue them and chasten them to teach them about the error of their way. Because you love them, not like, uh, it's cute that you're acting like a devil. No, I'm going I'm, I'm to rebuke you and I'm going to chasten you because you're made in my image and I'm responsible for you. And it's not cute that you're acting like a little devil. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and dine with him and he with me. What's the reward? Him. Fellowship. If you have him, 
You have everything. <laughs> All right. Okay. To him who overcomes, I will sit, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Jesus doesn't want to sit with losers and victims. Oh, man. Oh, man. I'm telling you, he loves you. He will wash your feet. He does not want people seated by him like that. The 24 elders that surround the throne, they are strategically picked people that he wants in his presence. You have to learn to surround yourself with people that you want in your life. I have none of my friends are losers. None of them. I have no friends like that that are broke or dumb or, or that I could call them and get bad advice. None. You have to choose, and I'm not going to call them giving them some sob story. They'll tell me, snap out of it. Immediately, snap out of it. You, you have to choose instead of you calling someone trying to validate your dysfunction and brokenness. You have to snap out of that. You, you, you have to choose who do you want by your side. Jesus says, I want people who overcome to sit with me. I died for everyone. I've given my life for everyone. But who, who's going to come and sit by me? I want overcomers sitting by me. You should be sitting by overcomers. And if you haven't overcame, get in the process of learning to overcome. Because you can overcome the world because he overcame the world. So this is not performance. This is not the sweat of your brow. This is because Jesus has victory that you can have victory. And Jesus wants to sit by victory. Sometimes we're sitting by the wrong people. So anyway... God is like, okay, if you're zealous, you're excited, you're, yeah, you're all that. Repent, change. Change the way you think. Change. Because, see, what happens is you will always find in this life and in this culture, you will always find someone who is willing to validate your dysfunction. Now we live in a society, oh, oh, you know, I don't feel like a man, you know, I want to be a woman. Great, we'll chop your penis off for $10,000, no problem. Okay, amazing. So you will find, did I just say that? Yes, I said that. Because you are, we live in a culture that they will profit off of your brokenness and dysfunction so you will find someone to validate your brokenness because they get paid from it. Which is the direct opposite of me. I want you to get free because I do better if you're free. And you do better if you're free. And the world does better if you're free. So I want you free. They go, no, we want you to have 12 addictions, 16 medications, 42 subscriptions, self-hatred. And we love you. Just stay that way. Power to the people. And I'm like, no, no, no. That's not, that's not power. And that's bad for the people. And that, that is not what God has for you. So anyway, here's what greed does. Greed promises more and delivers less. 
Generosity gives prosperity a purpose. That's free. Here's another one. I don't know where these random thoughts came from. I'll just read them to you. You will not build generational wealth without investing. The opposite of debt isn't saving, it's investing. That was free. You can see that these are some simple money principles. But many of this, this whole thing really begins with the right perspective. If, if I don't have the heart of God or if I don't have the right perspective on a situation, then I'll, I'll really be, I'll be in trouble. You, you know, like if I, if I cannot see myself correctly, that's a problem. Are, are you guys with me on that? Like, have you ever had something on your face? I get it here sometimes. It's difficult being a man. And so, so I don't know that I have stuff here. And someone will say, you have stuff in your beard. And then I'll say, okay, and I'll get it out. But if we don't see ourselves correctly, we make a fool out of ourselves. God is like, look, I, I, I love you, but you're, you're a mess. And uh, I'm going to address this in your life. Because I love you and I care for you. And I want to have communion with you. And I want to fellowship with you at the table. And I want you to be dignified and sit next to me. But living like that, you cannot sit here like that. See, one of the things people miss about the gospel, he makes reference to the white garments. Did you, did you see that? There's a parable in which everyone is invited to the wedding feast. So there is a great tension in the gospel is that the gospel of Jesus is radically inclusive. Radically inclusive. This is a dangerous word to use now because they can twist that and move that and, and you know, wiggle that. But... It's very inclusive in the sense that everyone is invited. The blood was shed. The price was paid. Everyone is invited. You're invited. I'm invited. Here's, here's the other side of that same coin. Only those with wedding garments can stay. So you cannot just wander in here on your own terms and think that you're going to live in the kingdom of God on your terms. You're not. You may come to church. You may... Do whatever you do, but in terms of the kingdom, the kingdom is in line. The kingdom is in order. The kingdom is not dysfunctional. So if you're going to move in step with the kingdom, then you got, you, there's things that got to get ironed out. And, and so the, these, these white garments are for those who are invited to the marriage supper and to the wedding feast, and he provides garments for everyone who's invited but you got to put that garment on. You, you, got, you got to be clothed with that garment or you cannot stay. Me and, me and my wife went to eat somewhere recently and I had a hat on. And they, you know what they said? No hats here. And I'm thinking, but I feel like a celebrity. Why can't I wear a hat? They don't care what I feel like. No hats here. So, so if you want to come in here and eat, you take your hat off. If you go, no, I want my hat, you can't eat it here. <laughs> Do you get how simple that is? And it's the same with Jesus. If, if you want to stay, 
You got to put on wedding garments. You got to put on white robes. There has to be purity. Purity is the thing that makes you rich. The most powerful thing that you can have is a pure heart. Why? Because when you have a pure heart, you can see God, which means that you can see, which means that you have the courage to see what is not right with you. Many people are not willing. They're, they're still, they're playing games after a long time. They're not, no, 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 you have to be willing to say, no, 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 there's something really wrong. And it's okay. Do you know the girls, Sarah, Tina, um, Deborah, they, they, they went for how many sessions? Three sessions. How much did it cost? $900 for three of them to sit in a room so that they can help people deal with stuff. And that all was done with one person in mind, but other people out of love for people. Out of love for people. And the church, we didn't charge them for that. We, we wanted to invest in them because that is kingdom. For people to get free, if you're not willing to get free, what are you going to do? Like, if, if, we're not, if we're not willing to get free, why, why live as a Christian in bondage? For what? That's like starving to death at a buffet. Why are you going to starve to death at a Golden Corral? Have you ever seen people at Golden Corral? Like, they make me look like a bikini model. They're like huge, dude. Like, dang, fam. I mean, you don't need $8 free food all day long, brother. Get out of there. They're going to kill you over there. And, and you have Christians starving to death at a buffet. When the father, as Reinhard Bonnke said, that all the other religions, they spread the table for their gods. You go to India, they do the thing, they get all kinds of gods, they put you know, stuff out for them. You know. God spreads the table for his kids and says, come on, sit down with me, son. I want to talk to you. Sit down with me, daughter. I want to communicate. I want to fellowship with you. I want to begin to address some nakedness, some shame, some, some poverty, some blindness, some wretchedness, some rankness. We got some stanky. We want to change those diapers. I want to address these things because he loves us. That's the good news. He loves us. And he says, I want you to be rich. Some of you don't believe that. I believe that. She knows I believe that. I literally believe when the Bible says that Jesus, who was rich, died and became poor and died so that I could be made rich. I actually believe that. But I also believe in his definition of what rich is. And one of the things I learned, I learned something very interesting. This is a very interesting thing. Some of you know this, people who maybe you grew up around money. If you didn't, maybe you don't know this. But it's very different if a poor person goes, oh, that they're rich. You know, they have a, what does that mean? That means they have a barbecue and a pool. It's like, you think they're rich. You're, like, you're just so poor, you can't afford to pay attention. And, and so they are not rich really but if someone who is very rich says man this guy is really rich that's a different level of rich like I have a rich friend I've only heard him call one other person very rich and it was a Nigerian billionaire who was a senator 
and he says that this guy goes shopping, he has bags of money, and he has a full, you know, bulletproof Hummer with security team, and he took our friend's daughter out, Eunice, pastor's daughter, shopping, and he, he blessed her, and they had bags of money, like bags of money, like to go shopping. Like, that's how he said, he said, man, that guy is rich. So if a rich guy says that you are rich, that is different than if someone who's poor goes, oh, they're rich. What does that mean? You don't even know what rich is. Yeah. So, but now God is saying, God, listen, listen, get this in your spirit. God, who owns everything, says, I want to make you rich by making you pure. Because pure is rich and pure is trustworthy. All of the value of that relationship that I have with my wife is based on the purity of that relationship. Now let's say you have a broken relationship that you can rebuild it and you can become pure and it can become valuable but value is lost when trust is lost. God is saying, listen, you're naked, you're poor, you're miserable, you're blind, and you're wretched. Don't worry, I still love you. You haven't lost your value. I want to give you garments. I want to clothe you. I want you to sit with me. I want to eat with you. I want to speak to you. I still love you. You haven't lost your value to me. That's redemption. That's the beauty of the gospel. But this is Jesus saying to us, and I am done. I want you to be rich, but as I see rich. Do you want that? Stand up. Let's pray. Let's pray. Let's ask our Father that our Father would make us rich toward Him. Because I'm telling you what, if we are rich toward God... We can get a lot of things done for the kingdom. We can shake a lot of things up and disturb a lot of stuff. Are you with me? Father, we come before you now and we ask you to heal the blindness and remove the nakedness, the miserableness, the wretchedness, the, the poverty, the, the not seeing our own need for you. Because we got a little bit of stuff. Lord, help us to see you. Help us to see the need that we have. Help us to see what you have provided. And help us to be rich toward you. Help us to be pure in you. Help us, Lord, to walk in purity of heart. It says that the bride is clothed in the righteous acts of the saints, that we are clothed in what you did and what we do as we partner with you. Lord, we ask just for purity, for holiness, God, for, for the restoration of true righteousness, righteousness that is imputed, but righteousness that is practiced, not one but both. Lord, we ask that we would be righteous, that we would live at peace with you, that we would live in the joy of the Lord, that we would live in the prosperity of your kingdom, and that we would be instruments of blessing in all of the earth for the name and for the fame of Jesus. We pray that you would be glorified and honored through our lives in Jesus' name. And the church said, Amen.
Thanks for listening to the Rescue Church podcast. We would love to see you in person. For more information, visit rescuechurch.tv slash invite.